0: everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast with the Grove Church. This is Charlie Lofton. I'm the lead pastor there and really glad that you have joined us. And we are now in session 11 of a series called Panorama of the Bible. We're kind of walking our way through the Bible historically. And this is number 11. And so if you've missed the first 10, I encourage you to go back. If you're trying to make historical sense of kind of the the way the Bible fits together, it's good to start at number one, not with number 11. And so, thank and for you guys been joining us. I mean, we're almost done. We're number eleven. We got one more left after this. Kind of walking through these twelve things. We started with the prologue, kind of the intro, the patriarchs, Abraham and those guys, redemption and wandering, the story of Moses, conquest, the story of Joshua taking back the promised land, the judges cycle of kind of how they're figuring out in this in between how to manage themselves and how to walk with God till they ultimately ask for a king. Number six. United Monarchy, where they have three kings under a United Kingdom: uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. But those guys, they just had a lot of flaws, and ultimately, in that fourth king, Rehoboam, he is a—he's just a big-time idiot and a jerk—and end up splitting the kingdom. Number seven, the Kingship Divided Monarchy, and there's two kingdoms: the Kingdom of Israel in the north and the Kingdom of Judah in the south. And those king—the uh, Israel is a mess nonstop gets carried away by the Assyrians a few hundred years later. Um, Judah has some good kings and some bad kings. They hang around a little bit longer, but ultimately they are, number eight, carried into exile by the Babylonians, and they live in exile there. It's where you get your story of uh, you know Daniel and the lions then, those kinds of things where uh, the three guys in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all those kind of cool stories come from that period where they are exiled out of Israel, But God has always promised both before and during the exile, hey, I will always have your back, and one day I will bring you back. Number nine, return from exile. God just raises up some really cool people to bring them back and to reestablish Jerusalem, to rebuild the wall, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the people. And then ultimately, they make the switch from there to the life of Jesus. We talked about those 400 years in between. Between the history of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we go from Israel being kind of, you know, ruled um, by the Babylonians to the Persians to the Greeks to being independent to ultimately uh, the Romans, which is where we find ourselves uh, 400 years later with the life of Jesus. And the the story of Jesus, there's a few stories about his birth. When he's a baby getting dedicated, You got the story of Jesus um, with the wise man when he's probably about a toddler. He goes to Egypt. He comes back. We get a teenage story of Jesus kind of confounding the teachers there at the temple. We skip ahead to 30. We get the three years of the ministry of Jesus that kind of start with him, just kind of in obscurity with him, growing in popularity, but with the increase in popularity comes his higher profile. A lot of opposition comes, His popularity decreases. He's working his way towards Jerusalem. Then we have the Passion Week where Palm Sunday, the Last Supper, his arrest, his execution, and then ultimately on the third day his resurrection, and then he makes a few appearances to some apostles and teaches them a few things, and then gathers them together one last time before he ascends into heaven, which is where we pick up our story today in section number eleven, the Church Age, which is really going to incorporate really the Book of Acts and um, all of the all of and all of the letters all the way from. Um, from Romans all the way to Jude. The only book this doesn't include there is Revelation, which that will be the topic of number 12, which will be of great interest to you. And some of you are now just going to pause this. If you're catching it late, pause this and go to that one. People find that stuff really cool and interesting. And other people, I have now saved you from having to listen to that. But um, that will be number 12. We'll talk about Revelation and kind of what what the Bible predicts is going to happen at the the end of days. But right now, we find ourselves in the church age, and um, we start in Acts chapter one. and Acts is written by Luke. And so these two things go together. And so you even recognize this. We talked about this. that in the the intro to Luke, he's talking about to this very specific Gentile dude named Theophilus. And we get Theoph- we get another Theophilus reference here, verse one, chapter one, Acts one right here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we see here in Acts that he, that Luke is referencing his previous work and, and kind of making sure that good old Theophilus is connecting the dots here. It's kind of where we are in the story. Hey, you remember we were talking about Jesus and Jesus did all these really cool things and then he died and he came back to life and then this is what happened. And so he's kind of setting the context here of right before the ascension. And that's where we find ourselves in verse four. And what we're going to notice here is what happens over these next few verses is not only Luke's telling of kind of this last interaction that the disciples had with Jesus and the giving of what's called the Great Commission. Um, it also is going to function as an outline for um, how he tells the story of the book of Acts and the church all throughout the rest of the book. So, we've, not only we are dealing kind of with this initial story about Jesus and kind of bridging the gap, but we're also going to get an outline for the entire book here. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with waters, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" Just pause here, really quick. He said, "Hey, you're in you're in Jerusalem. Don't you know? We do not leave Jerusalem. Do not leave here. Just wait here. There's something really cool that's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come on all of you." And then they asked this question. This is their response. They said, "Don't leave Jerusalem." This gift that I've promised you of the Holy Spirit is going to come. And they it's almost like they don't even hear that. They really are really paying, tracking with what he's saying. They immediately go to, hey, is this when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is this when the political revolution is going to start? We know that you're the king. We know that you're Messiah. We know that you're here to overthrow the Romans. Is this when you're going to do it? And so we talked about this in our last episode, that there was just this belief with the disciples, especially Judas, who has now killed himself and is no longer a part of the situation. Um, we, we, we've got this, this obsession that they have with you being the king means that you are going to grant us political independence. You're going to save us from the Romans. And you see this battle all throughout the Gospels, and it goes all the way here to the very end, this battle of what does it mean that Jesus is going to save the people? Yeah, that you're going to save us politically from the Romans. No, I am going to save you personally and from your sins and from your own bad choices and from your separation, your exile from God. That's what I'm doing. So they keep waiting him for do this. It's like they understand this is going to be the last time they're going to talk to Jesus. Okay, So then whenever this thing is that you're saying happens, is that when you're going to do the thing that we think that you're going to do? And Jesus has an all-time answer here. Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know, which is just great. I mean, that is just straight up, that's straight up parent talk right there. You know, don't ask ask me, kid, go to your room. Um, He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. This is not your concern, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So there's an interesting dynamic here. You're asking about political power. When are we going to have our country back? And are you going to let us be your kind of lieutenants? Because it's not for you to know when when he's going to do that, but you will have power. You will have power. It's just not the power you're thinking about. So there's a play on words here. They're asking a power question. And he says, that's the wrong question. Let me answer a different question because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their, from their sight. They went looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. We will come back to that verse when we talk about what's supposed to happen when the world ends 'Cause that is a very that is a very key verse there when he's this 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 when this angel says he's gonna come back in the same way that he left. It matters because it kind of undoes a couple of wild, really dumb theories that exist in the world. But that's not that's that's for next week. Anyways, so we got this story here of kind of this last meeting that Jesus has where he gives them, again, what's called the Great Commission. And the way that I like to think about the Great Commission is They've been following Jesus for three years, which was a very literal thing. I'm following Jesus. He's there, and now he's over there. I'm going to follow him over there. And he tells me what to do because I heard him say it because he was standing right there. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What do we need to be about if I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus isn't literally here? And this is what he tells him: And and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the commission that um, the mission, the the vision, the the tasks that Jesus has set for his followers, and then he goes. But we also, again, like I said, we have a we have a um, we have an outline for what we're gonna we're gonna find out kind of the way that this book is structured. It starts with, "Hey, don't leave Jerusalem," because the first thing that's got to happen is the Holy Spirit has to come on you, and that's going to be the very next um, the very next story that we are going to see. Is we're going to see the story of how the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Then it goes from there, and it says, and then you're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly the way the outline of this book is going to play out. First, we're going to see kind of how the church began to grow and how the disciples kind of witnessed and talked about Jesus in the town of Jerusalem. And then we'll see their influence expand to Judea, which, for, for, for lack of a better purpose, I better understand. You just think of it in terms of a region or maybe a state. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do this in we're gonna do this in Fayetteville and in all of Arkansas and then even into Texas and then to to the very ends of the earth. So where you are right now to the existing region, to the neighboring region, and then ultimately everywhere. And so we will see the outline of the book go that way. We'll see them first in Jerusalem, then in the surrounding areas in Judea. We'll see them go to the neighboring community of Samaria. And then we will see them take the gospel well beyond the borders of Israel and Judea, Samaria, all those places to what they certainly at their time they would have considered the very ends of the earth. As far as any of them knew if any place existed, we're going to see the gospel go beyond that. And then in the age we live in right now, we are continuing our our we have been given that commission and we have taken it even further to further places even beyond our recorded in Acts. Um, 1 through 28. So let's make sure we kind of get the 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 idea here. There's a lot of really cool things here that happen. So we have the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples in a really miraculous way. And it says it's like tongues of fire come on their head. And then they begin to speak in other languages. And it begins to attract a crowd. And all these people are starting to hear because people are hearing them talk in their own language. They got all these people out there and... um. And all these people are starting to come because there's these, you know, a few dozen people who are just sitting there talking in all of these different languages. And all of a sudden, I, I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing I'm hearing what I'm hearing them in my own language. How does this Jewish person know my language? This this is wild. So they've drawn quite a crowd. And and one of my favorite all time um, favorite passages, especially in the Book of Acts, maybe maybe in the Bible they say, man, these, this is crazy. These guys must be drunk. And Peter's response to them is, man, we're not drunk. It's too early. I mean, he doesn't act offended by the question. He doesn't say we don't do that. Nothing like that. He says, man, it's early in the morning. I, there's, I don't know. There's not an implied, just give me time there, but there's just something there. There's something about that that has always found found it funny to me. Um, hey, you're drunk. No, man, it's early. It's I love it. Anyways. So we have this and so then Peter says, "Let me tell you actually what is happening." And explains to them about that this is the this is this is this was foretold in the book of Joel that this really cool thing was going to happen and everything was going to be undone and unmade and it has to do with Jesus who you guys just crucified like a month ago. And 3,000 people come to faith in in Jesus in that moment. And so in that one moment there in Acts chapter 2, it moves from a movement of just a few dozen people to essentially a church in Jerusalem with 3,000 plus people. And so, and then we'll see chapter by chapter, just more and more, these kind of these big epic moments where they have these opportunities to speak to large groups of people and thousands of people are coming to faith. And so now all of a sudden, we've got this group of guys who've been following around Jesus for a few years, and now suddenly they are in charge or trying to lead a movement of several thousand people. And if you have ever tried to get four people to get to pick a restaurant together, then you understand the headache of what it would be like to try to lead something that is brand new, that has never existed, to try to formulate this idea of kind of what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean to be a group of followers of Jesus? And they have all the problems that 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 people like this have. The, the the biggest one, the very first one they have, same one that Jesus had. They are now they are now they are not just the scattered followers of this dude Jesus that we killed a while back. They have now attracted several thousand people. This is a now a big problem religious slash in their brain political movement right the idea that a large religious group is also a political threat that is not a new idea it was a it was what they felt as well And so as they are going around healing people and in miraculous ways it's drawing a lot of attention it's and they, and they find themselves over and over again being brought in to the religious authorities. And being told, you have to stop this. And it's like, bro, you can say whatever you want. You can tell me to stop if that feels right to you. But we cannot stop talking about Jesus. So we have this, this confrontation um, that they have, and they refuse to kind of like, no, we're not, we, we have, this is what we have to do. This is what Jesus told us to do. And so then as the movement's getting bigger, they need they need resources not only to to for their mission, but also for to take care of the poor, which is very essential to the thing that they're trying to do, which is to take care of the poor and helpless amongst them. And so people start to sell stuff. They start to sell their land, which gets us to the Ananias and Sapphira story where um, they say that they sell a piece of land for a certain price, but they lied about it and both of them dropped dead. It is a scary thing, but it just kind of is this kind of kind of this earth shattering moment, I think for everybody where it's like, this is for real, like lying to these people, lying to God, this is, a this, God, God is here, right? And then, um, and then Acts chapter six, the kind of thing that you would just expect to happen. I mean, this, if there is any pastor listening to this podcast, you're gonna be like, mm-hmm. Um, they're giving out food to the widows and to the poor in their area. And then finally the people who's, who were not like, Jewish but were uh, more Greek or Roman it's like man our our widows they 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 get fed last and sometimes there's not any food left and we what what are you doing and so there's a there's a racial tension there between like a favorability towards Jews there's also just a logistical issue here is that it seems like they're not very good at the managing and distribution of resources and the apostles are like bro we, we God has called us to do something very different than this and so they start to establish more leadership types of structures to manage these kinds of things, which is a really good answer to a, a real serious problem. And they they appoint these guys as deacons, and depending on what the church that you went to, you may know what that is, but essentially kind of people who are serving to the church. One of these guys is a guy named Stephen. In addition to his deacon duties, he is also someone who is very passionate about talking about Jesus. And he gets arrested and gets in trouble and they are about to kill him. And he gives like the sermon of a lifetime. You want to read the best sermon that is maybe anywhere outside of the stuff that Jesus said, then you just read Acts chapter 7 and just what Stephen has to say. It is, it is, it is incredible. Uh, and it does not have the effect of turning any of these people with the rocks in their hands uh, favorably towards Stephen. Um, in fact, it has the opposite and they kill him. Which he essentially then kind of becomes the first martyr, um, person to die for the faith there, in the Book of Acts, and it causes imagine what what would happen like all of a sudden like someone someone died because of preaching about Jesus, and they begin to scatter, and it is here then that we begin to see the outline of the Book of Acts that I told you was going to be there. We see it happen right now. Everything's happening in Jerusalem, and some people speculate that one of the reasons why this had to happen because it just seemed like the that that they were never really going to leave Jerusalem, that they'd forgotten a little bit about the geography of their mission. Um, I believe they probably would eventually would have moved there. I mean, they were having a lot of logistical stuff, but it definitely seems like I mean this definitely accelerated the timeline because now the people who are followers of Jesus are being scattered everywhere. And so then they then they then they scatter and then um in Acts eight chapter one says this on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So we have there kind of again just kind of this this phrase to come back. And so then we have some stories starting in starting in chapter eight of of the book of Acts. We have them witnessing in Judea and Samaria, and you'll see that in chapters eight through twelve. And again, Judea kind of being the Jewish region around Jerusalem, and Samaria being a northern a, a northern um, region with a different type of people. And these people were really kind of considered to be half-Jewish. And there's a, there was a lot of racial animosity there. They were considered to be, for lack of a better word, I mean, just, this is offensive, but it was meant so, like kind of half-breeds. And, and they were also considered to be traitorous because during the time of exile, it was believed that these that these people were the ones that were kind of intermarrying with the, with the bad guys. So while the good guys, quote, quote, were being exiled, you you guys were, some of you guys that got to stay were sitting around marrying the bad guys. And, and so there was just a lot of racial and political animosity between these two regions. And the fact that outside of the region around Jerusalem, that this would be the first place that the gospel would go actually carries a lot of significance to it. That the next place um, that the gospel would go would be to the group of people that the apostles would least likely want to take it and to overcome the, the racial, historical, political um, rivalry or you know conflict that had been going on for hundreds of years. And so, as we have in chapters 8 through 12, we, have, we see these stories of the expansion of it beyond just Jerusalem to Judea, the, the area around, and the neighboring region of Samaria. And then from 13 to 28, we see the kind of the ghost to the ends of the earth. Now we see it move from the Jews to the Jews and the Samaritans, to ultimately to Gentiles. And this is where Paul is going to really enter the story. We obviously, we seem a little bit there in the, in the story of Stephen. He's the dude that is holding the coats of all the people who are throwing the rocks and killing Stephen. And he is this great persecutor of, of the faith. He's a Pharisee. These are the bad guys from the, um, from the Gospels, people who are really opposed to Jesus and he's one of them, and is kind of he's very zealous, and kind of takes it. He's kind of given the job of of persecuting, kind of rounding these Christians up and putting them in prison. And he has this, you know, I think you've ever heard this phrase, kind of have a, a come to Jesus moment, right? He, he he literally did. He had a come to Jesus moment where he is there on this road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him, kind of in this bright light, blinds him. And says, "Why are you doing that? Why are you persecuting me?" He's like, "Man, I don't know who you are." And it's like, "I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus. The one you're persecuting. Why are you doing this?" And and he just immediately switches from being the great persecutor of Jesus to a very faithful follower, and rightly so. People are skeptical about him for a little while, whether or not this guy's legit. When your worst enemy suddenly says he turns to you, to your side, feels more you know more more like a spy movie than a than a genuine decision. And so there's initially some fear, but a guy named Barnabas kind of takes him under his wing and says, I'm going to vouch for this guy. This guy's a bro. And they kind of form these kind of these first missionary teams that begin to take groups of people well beyond the borders of Israel and take the gospel to all of these Gentile places. And we see some of these places. These are kind of the names of the the the, the people that got these letters written to them. Ephesians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So these are these are. Names of groups of people from particular towns, Ephesus, Colossae, Philippi, um, Thessalonica, Corinth. I mean, these are the places that Paul and these missionary journeys are going. And, and, and then ultimately he will write letters to And so Paul is now this traveling missionary. And really the kind of, in the book, it kind of switches. He becomes the main character for a while. In 1 through 12, it's the initial 11 apostles that are kind of the main characters then you got Stephen and Philip, a couple of the deacons kind of worked their way in there. And then it really becomes the story about Paul and his mission in taking the gospel all over, all over everywhere to the Gentiles. And one particular spot that I want to make sure that we talk about is in, is in Acts chapter 15, because they're really having to wrestle with this thing. So they had these Samaritans come to faith, which they're Jewish enough, like they understand what it means to be Jewish. Now you've got these people who really don't have anything in common or connect to the Jewish faith at all coming to faith, and they're not living the Jewish life at all. And now they're having to grapple with with the issue of what does it really mean? Can you be a follower of Jesus and not live in a Jewish way, following Jewish law, Jewish custom, Jewish diets, these kinds of things. And it may seem like a small thing to you, but Everybody they've ever known who was good and religious, to some degree, followed the Jewish dietary laws and customs. And now they're seeing people come to faith and are following Jesus who have nothing to do with their Jewish customs. It was a big deal for them. And Paul is very much like, no, man, the gospel is free. It's all free. It's not about how you live. It's not about these rules. How dare you? And it's like, man, it's a little bit about these rules, isn't it? And in Acts chapter 15, you've got this, it's called the Council of Jerusalem. And it is an incredible story of kind of how it's a great leadership story. It's a great theological pivot point in the history of the church of them trying to figure out how to do this. And basically they say, you're right, man. Uh, We say that we're following these laws, but no one really can. No one has ever successfully been able to do this. And so then they're kind of like, well, maybe don't, um, you know, don't, don't eat, you know, meat that's kind of been sacrificed to idols and be sexually pure. Okay. Like they kind of just kind of bear it down to kind of the bare bones of kind of, the personal morality pieces and the idolatry pieces don't don't worship idols, don't be in any idol worship, and keep yourself sexually pure. And that was the the consensus that they come to. And so it's a really cool moment. And then it kind of really gives Paul a lot more freedom than in his gospel sharing as he's taking it around the world there in, in, in Acts chapter thirteen through um, through twenty eight. And so it ends, I mean, it's really kind of one of these things where it's like my least – small rant – my my least favorite types of movies are movies that don't have a good clear ending. They just kind of stop and they kind of leave you to kind of artistically contemplate for yourself kind of how, how it ends. I hate that. And if you're going to do something like that, I need the little text that comes up at the end. It's like two years from now, da-da-da. It's like I need somebody to wrap this thing up for me but you know acts acts really is kind of designed like the story of acts the story of what the church does with this commission is not a story that ends like you, we we are we are still living that story even though we are not you know we're not writing chapters and calling it scripture we are still living that commission we are still we are still doing this and so it ends this way acts chapter 28 verse 30 for two whole years paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So we know ultimately that he's going to be arrested again and then he's going to ultimately die. We hear about a lot of this in Second Timothy and we know a lot of this just from just general church history and history in general. But it ends kind of with Paul is still doing what Paul does, and the other people still doing what they do. I and mean, this is just kind of, and and it, and it continues because you know Luke is a contemporary of all of this. This is not written a hundred, two hundred years later. This he was he was a witness to this, and so it just kind of it doesn't end. It, it just it just kind of it just kind of stops. And I really do think there is an intentional literary structure there of just kind of that this mission and this idea is ongoing, and so that's why you'll see a lot of. I mean, there's a church planting group that calls itself Acts 29. There's lots of different groups, actually, that have kind of taken that name or that idea upon themselves, kind of like, we're Acts 29. We are we are the next chapter in this story of what God is doing amongst the church. And so, really, the church age then always incorporates the book of Acts, but Paul's letters, John's letters, Peter's letters, James's letter, Jude's letter, these sort of things happen A lot of them happen outside of the chronology of the book of Acts. And honestly, we're still living in that age today. We're outside of biblical history now, but we are still living in that age today as far as we are still supposed to be about and doing the same things. And so all of of Acts and all of those letters all the way up until the book of Revelation kind of fall into this scene, this, this section. And then we will finish it by talking about Revelation and kind of what... Uh, the Bible says about the way, the kind of this this story in the Bible, how how it's ultimately going to come to an end. So I encourage you or discourage you, whatever you feel like to join us for that again. But regardless, we are really glad you joined us this this time, and really thank, thankful that you are participating. And if you are local, we would love to see you on a Sunday. You can go to thegrovechurch.org/connect. Get the information about our services. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to help you any way that we can. If you are not local, you can still connect with us. Go to that same website, GroveChurch.org/connect. Get the information about streaming, and we would love to meet you, help you. You can always send any questions or comments you have to the Charlie at TheGroveChurch.org. And again, thank you for joining us on our podcast.